Thank you for joining us today. We hope this teaching inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you tools for everyday life. We encourage you to visit us at mbcocala.com to discover more about the life-changing ministry at Meadowbrook, as well as convenient ways you can partner with us financially in helping people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. Enjoy the message. He is worthy, and because He is worthy, He makes us worthy to enter in to this throne room of praise, and we are so grateful today. And thank you so much to the team who's led us this morning. I'm Ryan. I'm the Central Campus Pastor, and I'm going to be filling in for Pastor Tim today as he is getting some rest and getting ready for our biggest weekend of the year next weekend, Easter. And so do you love your pastor? Let him know. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for this opportunity. And as Pastor Tom said, it is Palm Sunday. We're excited to talk about the journey of Jesus because from the time that he was born to the time that he rose Lazarus and he entered the city of Jerusalem, everything he was doing was to bring a new understanding of the nature of God and a new truth. And here's why he needed to do this. It says in Romans 1.25, I want to read this to you. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. They got their priorities off. And sometimes we do that. So this morning, we're going to remember who Jesus is, what Jesus is, and why Jesus is Lord. Let me, why don't you put your hands out? I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would prepare our hearts for the good news. Lord, that, that, if, that whatever we came in with, the baggage of the wheat, the hurts, the, the hang-ups, the habits, the Lord right now, your mercies are made new every morning, and we are walking in that mercy and grace Lord, prepare our hearts for a good, good word. I pray that every person here leaves different. Lord, that when all things are said and done, that you have been honored and you are pleased and that your people will be helped. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I'd like to also welcome our online and East Campus audience. Can we hear for them right now? Did that a little out of order, but that's okay. I lie to my kids. Sometimes. If, if you don't lie to your kids, they're not communicating in English yet or, or whatever that is. They're not there yet. That's okay. Um, it's a little tool that us parents learn to survive. And so whether it's uh, at a young age, even when they begin to talk, our first lie usually is on the way to the doctor, and they say, does, does the shot hurt? And we say, no, it tickles. And you get, a, you get a sucker out of it. Or, you know, we lie and tell our kids that if they eat their spinach, they're going to look like Popeye. That's not been clinically proven. I've got a 15-year-old and a 19-year-old. I'm going to talk about them a few times today. And uh, I, I walk in the living room, they're studying algebra, and I walk up and I say, guys, you're going to use that every day of your life for the rest of your life. Keep going. Good job. You know, we, we learn to lie at a young age. My son, Tyler, again, he's 15. He was, and this sounds brash, but he was the liar of the bunch. Uh, if, again, if you have a kid, you might have one that's just sort of have more of a propensity to, to stretch the truth. This was Tyler, and we knew it was a lie because he always started it the same way. It was always this, me and my friend. And he would say something like, me and my friend were out, and we saw an elephant walking down the road. 
And my other son, they're three years apart, a little competitive, says, Tyler, I know for a fact you don't have a friend. You're homeschooled. I'm your only friend, and your bully is also your principal. Who's your mom? That's homeschool life. So we, we learned to lie as a little bit of a survival tactic. When I was young, I've, I've had since, as long as I can remember, social anxiety. And uh, when I tell people this, they sort of chuckle and they say, well, how do you get in front of people and do this? Well, it's because I just, there's a whole lot of you, and I imagine that you're not there. And so it's just a trick I play. So I've learned to deal with my social anxiety. However, if you have ever been with me in the lobby and you've had a conversation with me, maybe you and your spouse are by yourself, I bet when I walked away, you looked at the other one and said, he's weird, right? He's a little weird. I just, I, I can't always say the right thing and I forget names all the time because I'm too focused on what somebody's saying so that I can say something else that doesn't sound stupid. I've had this social anxiety my whole life and I began to lie to myself. This is what I, I started to do because I felt that I wasn't as friendly as my friends because I have what is known as rusting grumpy face. I'm a grumpy cat at times, and I'm not really grumpy. It's just the way my face works. Gravity took a really intense effect on it. It points down instead of up. So growing up, I didn't have a lot of friends, but I had a close friend who was very popular and had a lot of friends. And I got a little insecure with that. I got a little self-conscious, and some of you might know what I'm talking about. And so in my insecurity, I began to lie to myself and say, I don't need a lot of friends because I'm an introvert, and introverts are cool. Because we don't care what people think, and we don't care what people say, and we don't even need people. And I said that to myself to protect my heart. And after a while, that lie became truer than the truth. I don't know if I would really be an introvert if it had not been for this social anxiety that I have. And there's some people here in this room today that are telling themselves lies. And you've probably been doing, doing it since you were young as well. It may have been the lie which says, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good at math, so I'm never going to be a math teacher. I'm not fast enough. I'm never going to win an Olympic. I am not, I'm not good looking enough. I'm not cool enough. I can't get a girlfriend or I can't get a boyfriend because I'm ugly. And over time, these lies begin to take root. And they become truer than the truth. And here's the, here's the dangerous part. That when we're lying to ourselves like this, your enemy, the devil, picks up on that. And he's going to try to reinforce those lies to bring you down. But today we're going to be talking about a new truth. I'm calling this the spirit of truth. Because on Palm Sunday, the day that we celebrate that represents Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem, in on a donkey, being called King of Kings, Hosanna in the highest. He came and he brought us a new truth. And I will argue with you today that you can stop believing the lies and you can start believing the true things that he is going to say about you. And that's what I want to do today. See, Jesus, the way he started his ministry, we're going to sort of start at the beginning. He was a baby. We, did the, we do the Christmas story. He gets to, they say, eight or nine or ten years old. And then there's nothing in the Bible about his history. One day he pops back up. He's with John the Baptist and he's getting baptized. This is the beginning of what we would call his public ministry. Three years in which he would go about preaching and teaching and building relationships and performing miracles 
in the name of his Father. But it begins with the baptism. And it's the only part in the Bible, I believe, where we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit represented in one place is at his baptism. Because as John the Baptist, his cousin, lays him into the water and pulls him back up, the Bible says that the heavens opened up and his father was there. And he says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased in. And then a dove, which represented his spirit, comes down upon Jesus. And it's in that moment that he gets his marching orders. But he's not done yet. He's got to go into the wilderness. And if you've ever read the story about the wilderness, it's actually sort of an interesting story. It it didn't really make a whole lot of sense for me, and I'm very, very visual. I live my life based upon movies. And so if you try to tell me something, I say, what movie would this represent? So for me, Jesus, and you know I love the 80s, if you've ever heard me up here, I'm an 80s kid. For me, Jesus in the wilderness would be like Luke Skywalker getting trained by Yoda to be a Jedi. Now I know, I don't think I can make any religious connections to Luke Skywalker, but go with me for a second. See, he had gotten his lightsaber, and he knew that he was that he was supposed to do something that was great. And so Obi-Wan said, go to Dagobah, you'll learn from my master. And so on Dagobah, you know, Luke Skywalker learns to make things float and he can do handstands on his hand while Yoda's on his feet and all sorts of weird stuff and making the X-wing come out of water. It's really neat. Empire Strikes Back, greatest film ever made. I didn't make this up. George Lucas made it up. Check it out. It's good stuff. So Jesus was getting what I would consider his Jedi training. He was being tempted because God, his father, wanted to make sure that he knew what he was here for. And he was going to let Jesus prove to the devil that he would not give into temptation. So he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He fasts. I can't go 40 minutes without eating. I will go into diabetic shock and I'm not even diabetic. I've got to eat. So it says that Jesus, I'm going to read this to you, Matthew 4, 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So when Jesus was at his weakest, when he was exhausted and emaciated, imagine his body after 40 days of no food. The devil comes at that moment when he is down. And I'll tell you what, this is another sermon, but... The devil knows when you're down, and he's going to try to get you when you're down. So he says, I know you're hungry. Turn those stones to bread. You'll be fine. He lied to Jesus. He was telling Jesus a lie because if you think about it, it had worked for the devil another time, a while before, in the Garden of Eden with a guy and a girl named Adam and Eve. He lied to them, and he was able to get them to fall into that trap. But see, Jesus was different because he had just been baptized, spending time with his father, and he knew what his purpose was. And so he responds by saying, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what his father had said about him. He believed what his father said about him. So he was not going to just give in to a lie. But now the devil gets crafty. He, he learned his lesson. He can't lie to Jesus. And listen, I think that there are people in this room today who have been Christians for a season for, for maybe a, a long part of your life. I was saved when I was eight years old. I remember it like it was yesterday. I've never doubted that day. So I've been a Christian for 30 plus years. And there's, there's probably some of you in your walk with God where you're not so easily given into lies. Maybe you're past that point where you no longer believe what you said about yourself. You're beyond that. And the devil knows that. Your enemy knows that because he's going to do what he does to Jesus. He gets smart. He says this, Matthew 4, 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. 
If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now we've got the devil quoting scripture. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now that's different. He wasn't trying to lie to Jesus. He was telling him the absolute truth. And here's where I'm going with this. That is not the truth that Jesus needed in that moment. That was an old truth. And so Jesus is going to do something. He's going to bring a new truth. And that is my point of this talk today. Because sometimes we start to not only believe an old truth, we start to tell ourselves what society would say, which is this. Just live your truth. You ever heard somebody say that? You just live your truth. Whatever you believe is true and right, that is your truth. Nobody else should tell you otherwise. You go with that. The problem is there's no standard to to hold it to. There's nothing for which we can measure what what would be right or wrong. That's why we need the Word of God. That's why we needed the law in the Old Testament. We needed to know what was right and what was wrong. We needed that that old covenant, that old promise, that old truth. So Jesus answers, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He responded with a truth to a truth. Neither one was wrong. Both were right. And in that moment, I I see Jesus hungry, exhausted, starving. The, The devil telling him something that's true. But then he's reminded, but what does my father say? What did he ask me to do? He responds with a new truth. And this, y'all listen to me, this is the gospel. This is everything. See, it's why we have a Palm Sunday. It's why we have a Holy Week. It's why we have a Good Friday in which he's executed. It's why we have him being raised from the dead. He did all of this from the time that he was born to the time that he shows up at the steps of Jerusalem. His life was preparing him to bring this new truth to people. Now we're stuck in a lot of the same places that he is. We get stuck between two truths in our own lives. It's not even a lie anymore. There's, there's, There's things that you want to be able to say, well, that's not true. The reality is it is true. See, it would be, if you're sick, No, that's not true. I don't believe I'm sick. But if a doctor diagnoses you, and it's a correct diagnosis, there is a truth. You have a sickness. What do we do with that? Well, the devil's going to use that. The enemy's going to use that to bring you down and say, this is the truth. You are sick. This is the truth. Your marriage is on the brink of divorce. This is the truth. You've lost somebody that you love. These things are true. But what Jesus started in the wilderness and continued for the next three years, he says, well, but there's a new truth. There's a new promise. There's a new covenant. The new truth is this. I'm in the business of restoration. I can fix marriages. Have you not seen me raise people from the dead? Do you not think that I can heal a sickness? Do you not think that I can fix a broken home? But what about the loved one that I lost? You're going to hurt to the day you die. But here's the new truth. At least you get to see him again because there's hope in Jesus. The world doesn't have that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, 
He understood this principle, I think, better than anybody in the Bible. He wrote, he wrote probably two-thirds of the New Testament, maybe a little bit more. And, you know, Jesus, when, in, the, in the Gospels, we hear Jesus set, in the red letters setting down the standard for living, to be holy as I am holy, and to, to honor your parents, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then you got Paul. He comes along. And what I love about Paul is he's like me. And he's probably, you're like him. You just mess up. You don't always get it. You do the things that you shouldn't do, and you don't do the things that you should do. Paul got this. But here's what Paul also got in 2 Corinthians. He was stuck in a jail, and he knew there was two truths. I'm in jail, but I also got to hear the new truth on the Damascus road from the man himself, Jesus. So this is what he says. He says, I'm pressed. There's no doubt, but I am not crushed. I am persecuted, no doubt, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. He understood that he could live beyond the curse with blessing. This is what Jesus came for. He came to give us this new truth. What started in the wilderness, it ends in Jerusalem. And I, I, I again, I'm, I'm very visual. I, I see this in my head, and I've probably seen movies that go along with it, but the gate's open. He's coming in on that donkey. People are going crazy with the palm leaves, throwing them on the ground. People singing, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, the King of kings. He is finally here. He's the one that we were promised so long ago in the old promises of Isaiah that he would be the lamb, that he would save us from governments, that he would destroy those who would oppose us. They were worshiping the new king. But five days later, he's crucified. That, that, always, that always was weird to me. I grew up in church. I saw all the felt board presentations. My mom did them. I saw the pictures. Still didn't get that. Why was this happening? If he was, he had just brought Lazarus from the dead right before getting to Jerusalem, healing dead guys. How could this happen? Well, Jesus did something you're not supposed to do. He questioned a belief system. He challenged a belief system. He never said it was wrong. He said, there's nothing wrong with the law. If, with, without the law, we wouldn't know what to do. So I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. Well, what does that even mean? Well, in short, it means that he's the only one who can do what the law says. So if he's fulfilling the law, well, what's the rest of this? So, so he has a conversation with some Jews who believed in him. Of John eight thirty one. it says this. Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And when you're free, you're free indeed. And then they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. See, that was a, that was a, a badge of honor to be able to say that you were in the bloodline of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Jacob and Esau, and all the way through the people of Israel, the Israelites. It was a point of pride, and they said, we are his descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? See, they heard what he was preaching. And this is where we can't judge them. It was easier to just keep believing the old truth than to come along and hear something new that would change everything about our understanding about who God is. See, he went, he went from an old covenant of laws that if you do this, I will do this for you. The Levitical law, read, read the book of Leviticus sometimes and, and uh, write a blog on it. I'd love to read it. It's full of laws 
that some make sense, some don't make sense. The reason why those laws were there is because Israel had been slaves in Egypt and they no longer even knew how to stay healthy and, and clean. And so God had to write that law to help them reestablish how to live. And so if you do these things, you are made right in the eyes of God. If you sacrifice this, your sins are atoned for that. And if you say this, you'll do this. And if somebody prays over you for this, this, this is what will happen. There was a lot of doing. And there's something neat about being able to do something to get direct results. You, you got to admit, think about this. If, if somebody was to come along and tell you that, that all these consequences will be uh, completely you know, eradicated and life will be grand, all you have to do is believe. Or if you fill out this form, chant these three words and put a quarter in the machine and pull it, all those problems will be gone it's a little bit easier to do stuff sometimes because we feel like we're getting something out of it, like it's for sure. And Jesus is coming along and saying, there is no more of this old law. It's a good law, but there's no more of this old law. I'm bringing a new covenant, new promises, and it's all on faith. And faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. It's all about believing. So what Jesus was saying was offensive, and I don't blame them. And he was also about to give a new ending. See, the cross is the ending. The, the cross is the symbol of our faith. That's why we celebrate this. When I was, again, when I was young and Good Friday came along and we're supposed to celebrate the day that Jesus is crucified, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Why would we celebrate somebody being murdered? I don't quite understand that. So I'm a preacher's kid. You may have heard me say this before. And, and at, at the age of eight, I was hanging out with my dad at his office in church. Again, grew up, heard it all, done it all. I could recite this stuff. Um, and we got into a conversation. I was sitting on the windowsill. And my memory, I don't have a great memory. I just told you I don't remember names, so that's sort of obvious. Uh, I don't always remember the things that I would like to remember. Sometimes it frustrates my wife because I won't remember like, really poignant moments, but, but then I always like remember like when one of my kids makes fun of the other one or they get into like a, a cool argument and then I, I, I remember every movie quote known to mankind. It's, I have this weird selective memory, but this day I remember like it was yesterday. It was a cool summer day. His window to his office had no screen. I could open his window and I could sit on the windowsill in his, and he would be in his office at his computer and I could talk to him. We lived in a parsonage and you've probably never heard of a parsonage, but it's a home that is owned by the church that the pastor and his family can stay in. And so we, we were right by the church, and we were talking, and he got, we got into this conversation. And in that moment that I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, it became real. And in that moment, I understood what the purpose of the cross was. And Good Friday became a Good Friday because I realized that I was sinful, that I had sinned, and that I had fallen short of the glory of the God. But while I was still sinner, a sinner, Christ died for me. That if I believe in my heart, if I confess him as Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I would be saved. My dad, he took me down what's called the Romans Road. That's what it is. It's a series of verses in Romans. I remember this like it was yesterday. My life was changed. And so now when I celebrate Palm Sunday and Holy Week and Good Friday and Easter Sunday, it has meaning for me. He brought a new truth. He gave me a new promise. But the hard part is sometimes we struggle to receive this new promise. Just as the Pharisees and the scribes and the Israelites did, it's easier to live in something old that you know that's comfortable. It's like a good pair of jeans that fit right. You know what I'm talking about? They might be old and they have holes, but they feel good. Then you put on that new pair and it's too tight, doesn't look right, doesn't feel right. They're new, they cost a lot of money, 
I'll, get, I'll take the old. It's exactly what we deal with. I deal with this. You deal with this. And so John 14, 15, this is what Jesus said. First of all, he makes this statement that is, again, one of these statements that just seems absolutely impossible. If you love me, keep my commands. How many times have we read that? We read it all the time. Have you ever actually just had a conversation in your head like I do and say, now, I've read some of those commands, and I break a lot of these about five to six times an hour. So how do I keep these commands? The Bible says that you're holy, so I'm supposed to be holy. How do I do these things? And he goes on, he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, here's the difference, advocate, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. This is the difference maker. This is, the, this is what it's all hinged on in the Easter story. That if he had just come into Jerusalem, and he had been the king, and he was, and he was worshipped, and, and then he was, see, when he got into the city, he was worshipped. But he ends up sitting next to a murderer five days later, being accused of being a heretic, because what he had been preaching was offensive. And you probably know the story. There's the Israelites are standing there, the Jews, and Pilate's on a, on a stage. Again, this is what I see in my head. And he says, here's Barabbas, a known murderer, a zealot. He's killed a lot of people. Here's Jesus. All he's done is said some things that offend you. The festival says I have to let one go. Who should I let go? And the people chanted Barabbas. They said, crucify Jesus. Five days later, he went from a king on a donkey being held Hosanna to a hated and vile man who would be crucified. But he said, I'm going to give you my spirit. I have to go to the cross. I have to die on the cross. But if he had stayed dead, it wouldn't be the same. We wouldn't have this advocate that he speaks of because three days later he would be risen from the dead. And we're going to celebrate this like crazy next Sunday as Pastor Tim brings this message. But I want to leave you with this. His Spirit will give you the strength to do and to say and to be all the things that he says that you can do, that you can say, and that you can be. And if you think, well, I can't, he agrees with you. You can't. He never said you could, but he can. And he always said he would through you, through his Spirit. It's a new promise. It's a new truth. You're still dealing with the, the, the hurts. You're still dealing with the old. Listen, if anybody ever tells you, being a Christian, once you become a Christian, life is perfect and grand. It's the easiest thing that you'll ever do. You get like, uh, you know, free ice cream when you go to Baskin Robbins, and there's extra whipped cream on your pie, and, and people pay off your, your mortgage for no reason at all. It's wonderful. I wish. And if this is your very first time in church, you're probably thinking, what is this dude selling? Hang with me for a second. The easiest thing you can ever do is ask Jesus into your heart. It's as simple as believing and confessing. And then once you do that, you get something that nobody else in this world has. You get the spirit of truth to be your advocate, to help you through all these truths. Because you're going to have those experiences regardless. You're going to go through hurt. You're going to go through pain and broken marriage and and death and destruction. You're going to have those things. Paul knew it. He was pressed. He was persecuted. But what you get with the spirit of truth is you get hope. And it's the only thing on this planet that we have that's different than everything else is hope. 
Hope that we're going to see our loved ones. Hope that there can be healing. Hope that there can be restoration. And it's all done by the Spirit of truth. I learned a long time ago, uh, going back to my selective memory, about I don't remember the things that I always should remember. So I started journaling. It's a little known secret. I'm a journaler. I don't journal like I used to. Does in, you don't have to raise your hand, but there's probably some journalers in here. And let me, let me quick, quickly sort of in closing get you to, to why this is important. So I become a Christian when I was eight. Never doubted that moment. Never have. I never will. Um, but I, I did what sometimes happens. I sort of, you could say backslide is a word we used in the 80s. Not a word I love, but I don't love everything from the 80s. Um, I was sort of, I was, I, was, I was doing what Paul did. That's what I was doing. I knew what I shouldn't do. I do what I don't do. I, I don't do what I should do. I was being your classic Paul. And so it was, it was, um, I was probably 17 or 18. I was wearing a tuxedo. I'd been at a, a dance on a Saturday night. And my dad being a pastor, I, I would always go to church, not because I wanted to be there, not because my parents were going to punish me. I was too old at that point. I went to church because I loved my mom and my dad, and I knew that they had been hurt too many times, and I wasn't going to be one of those people. So I would go to church, and people would ask me all the time, Ryan, are you going to be a pastor like your dad? No. I can't make this more clear to you. No. What? First of all, I've got social anxiety. Second of all, I'm an introvert. I don't even like people. Why would I be a pastor? I certainly don't like you because I've heard the things you said about my dad behind his back. And you're asking me, do I want to be a pastor? No. I want to either be in the Air Force or the FBI. This is really simple. I wanted to carry a gun, I guess. I don't know. So I'm sitting on this Sunday morning. I'm exhausted from the night before, still wearing half the tuxedo, the pants, the shirt. It's a little dirty. I, I, I guess that I had a good night. I don't really remember those specifics. Or maybe I do, and I just don't want to talk about those. <laughs> sitting in church, and there was a special speaker in town. A friend of my father, he was an evangelist. Um, I had never met him before. He was new. He, my dad had gone to college with him. I don't even remember his name. So I'm sitting in service, and I, I, uh, I'm a back row Baptist at heart, but I couldn't sit in the absolute back. So I'd sit like right about where you're at. I was sitting right in this area, and this guy's preaching, and he's got a little towel for the sweat. And he's going at it, and just out of the blue, he stops, and he points to me. And I don't know if he knew I was the preacher's kid. I don't, I don't really care. He points to me and says, God's got a plan for your life. You're going to minister to your generation, and people's lives will be changed. Get ready, kid. And then he just kept on preaching, just like that. I'm not done. It gets better. So I'm like 17, 18. I hear that. God does a series of other things in my life, and I'm, I, am, I am receiving a new truth about who I am. I was already a Christian, but God was revealing new truth to me every day, and I believe that's what's happening in this room right this minute. God is revealing some new truth in your life. So keep going with me for a second. So I'm receiving this truth, and I begin to write these things down in a journal. Because I knew that I wouldn't forget them. So last night, as I was, I've been preparing this whole week, and um, I, I, I knew that I was going to be preaching. And um, at about 10 o'clock last night, I was like, God, you know I just am the worst at closing sermons. I'm the worst. Nobody shuts down a sermon worse than me. Help me. He says, go get one of your journals. So I, I freak out. I'm like, Leah, where's my journals? And she's there right here. So she gets them out of a box, gives me this one. I open it up. This is the oldest one I have. The first entry is from July of 1999. So this is 20 years old. So 
I'm not making this up. And, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to take a screenshot and I'm going to show you what it says because this is a new truth that God told me on July 16, 1999. Forgive the handwriting and probably the misspelled words. It says this, Word, you will do what was prophesied over you during the laying on of holy hands. You will preach. Get prepared for purpose. Not your purpose on my time, not your time. For my glory, not your glory, humble yourself and don't lose heart. Well done, my faithful servant. Get lost in me. First Timothy 4, so says God, put down yourself, get on your face, worship me in spirit and in truth. I was probably 20 years old right there. That's worth clapping over. It's, and it's, it's not worth clapping over for me, but I'm going to tell you, I, he's real, y'all. He said this, and 20 years later, what am I doing? What was written? Because I had a new truth. And listen, the last 20 years haven't been easy. Nobody's paid off my mortgage and I don't get free ice cream. And there's days where I forget these truths and I put this away for a while. I get a little lazy. I forget about God's promises and his word and, his, and the things he said. But I always get back on track because of his Holy Spirit. He always gets me back there. Thanks again for listening to this message resource for Meadowbrook. You can stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.